Uh, The passage that we've just read from Luke's Gospel is, to my mind, one of the most uh, beautiful and moving stories in all of Scripture. It's about a proud Pharisee and a repentant, grateful woman whose heart is overflowing with love for Jesus. And this one short story reveals so much about God's character, about God's heart, how uh, God views us, how he sees us. So Jesus is invited to dinner at the home of Simon the Pharisee, which in itself is quite surprising because we're so used to hearing that the Pharisees were vehemently opposed to Jesus. Uh, And it's true that most of the Pharisees were hardliners who set themselves against Jesus from the outset. Uh, But there were also more moderate Pharisees uh, who were perhaps prepared to give Jesus uh, a fair hearing. And I think Simon would fall into this category. Uh, So there were strong rumors circulating about Jesus. Uh, People were saying that he was a prophet. And I guess that Simon wanted to find out if there's any truth to that claim. And so he invited Jesus to his home for dinner. And in Jesus' day, if a prominent member of the community hosted a meal, all the invited guests uh, would recline around tables in the center of a large communal area. Uh, they, they, would, they didn't sit bolt upright on chairs like we do. Uh, they'd be lying on mats, kind of propped up by cushions and things, as I say, very uh, low tables. And their feet would be pointing towards uh, the outside of the circle, to, uh, to, uh, towards the edge of the circle. And uh, these kinds of meals were not necessarily private affairs. I mean... Um, People in the ancient world didn't have a private life in the same kind of way that we do. So um, anyone would be able to uh, come in to this home while this meal was happening. Uh, They wouldn't necessarily have to be invited. They could literally come in uh, off the street and sit around the edge, not around the area that was reserved for the invited guests, uh, but they could be there observing what was going on, listening to the conversations. So Simon, the Pharisee, was chatting with Jesus, maybe asking some probing questions, trying to work out whether there was any legitimacy to the claim that Jesus was a prophet. And at some point in the proceedings, uh, a woman enters the space, and everyone there knew who she was. She was notoriously sinful. Luke just says uh, she had led a sinful life, but Probably the most likely explanation is that she was a a prostitute, and that would certainly explain the reaction that she evoked from Simon. And because of the way this is written, we can infer that this woman has encountered Jesus before and experiences forgiveness. And that forgiveness has awakened such feelings of love and gratitude that when she finds out that Jesus is going to be at Simon's house for a meal, uh, she resolves to go there with this jar of perfume uh, to anoint Jesus. So a notoriously sinful woman enters the home of this super-religious Pharisee. And she approaches the place where Simon and his religious guests are reclining around the table. Can you imagine how intimidating that would be? It would have been terrifying. I'm sure she would have been nervous. She was probably trembling, staring at the ground, trying not to make eye contact with anyone. But she's determined to bless and honor Jesus, determined to show her her gratitude. And from the moment she walked in, everybody 
was looking at her disapprovingly. Everybody, that is, except Jesus. And when she arrives at Jesus' feet, she's overcome by the emotion of it all. She breaks down and floods of tears roll down her cheeks and drip onto Jesus' feet before she can even open her jar of perfume. This is probably not the way that she planned it. Uh, It's embarrassing. Uh, Everybody is looking at her. She feels awkward. It's intense. And so to try and make things better, she lets down her hair, she kneels down, she may even lie down, and she dries the tears from Jesus' feet with her hair. You know, according to the Talmud, which is kind of like a Jewish commentary on the uh, Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, uh, a woman letting her hair down in the sight of any man besides her husband was a divorceable offense. And that gives us an idea just how outrageous this scene is. Everyone would have been aghast. It would have been extremely awkward and uncomfortable. But the woman continues. She kisses Jesus' feet and she anoints them with this perfume. And then reading from verse 39, it says, When the Pharisee who had invited him, Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. And right here, we see the attitude, we see the heart of this religious Pharisee. In fact, we see the heart of all religious people everywhere. It's exposed. You see, religious people, and I expect we have all, have all at times harbored religious attitudes, and none of us are exempt from this. But religious people like to think that there are two categories of people. There are good people, and there are bad people. There are holy people, and there are unholy people. You see, if we can brand uh, a, a certain group of people as evil, then we can reassure ourselves that we're not in that category. We can distance ourselves from that. And the Pharisee made a category error by putting the woman, the prostitute, in a different category to himself, as if she was sinful and he wasn't. And to some extent, we all do this. We all have a list, maybe almost subconscious, a list of all the worst sins, all the really bad stuff. And conveniently, the list doesn't include any of the things that we personally struggle with. So we may look down at someone who has an alcohol addiction whilst failing to see that we're addicted to pride or gossip or materialism or whatever it might be. We might blame a drug addict for the situation that they're in. Ah, they've only got themselves to blame. We don't recognize that we're being cold and unloving. We may think that somebody's lifestyle is unacceptable, but we don't see the fact that we're judgmental and condemning. If we're looking down our noses at people with an air of superiority, then we can't love them. And we are called to love people. I mean, really love people. We don't have to agree with everybody's choices. We don't have to endorse everybody's lifestyle. But not condoning somebody's choices is not the same thing as looking down at them and thinking that somehow we're better. You know, in one sense, the Pharisees were right. There are two categories of people, holy and unholy. In the holy category is Jesus. 
And in the unholy category is everybody else. We can't start splitting hairs about who is more holy than who. We're not holy. We're unholy. We're sinful. And Simon the Pharisee couldn't see that. He could see everybody else's sin, but not his own. So Jesus discerns Simon's thoughts and tells this very simple parable. He says, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, that's 500 times a day's wages for a laborer, and the other owed him 50 denarii. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of those will love him more? And Simon replies, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And it's the right answer. But the point isn't that, uh, that this woman has a huge debt and the Pharisee has a much smaller debt. The point isn't that uh, the woman is ten times more sinful than the Pharisee. The point that Jesus is making is that this woman sees her huge debt. She sees her sin for what it is. Uh, The Pharisee, on the other hand, believes that he owes very little. Of course, like everyone else, the Pharisee's debt is huge. It's piled up. He just can't see it. Are we like that Pharisee? Do we look at other people and say, that person's got a lot to answer for. Look at what's going on in their life. Look at what they're doing. That's not very good. Do we do that whilst we're failing to see the sin in our own life? It's interesting that Jesus uses the analogy of a debt, isn't it? We're all uh, used to getting bills pretty regularly, aren't we? Unfortunately. Every month, uh, we get bills that tell us how much money we owe. Uh, How much money we owe, whether it's our mortgage repayments or our phone or utilities or school fees, whatever it is. What if God sent us a monthly bill for our sins? And that doesn't just include the bad things that we do. It also includes the good things that we fail to do. The things that we do wrong are sins of commission. And we tend to focus on these, normally by way of excusing ourselves. We say, well... I haven't murdered anyone, haven't stolen anything, haven't lost my temper. Well, not in the last 24 hours anyway, so I think I'm doing pretty well. But then there are sins of omission. So you've got sins of commission, but you've also got sins of omission. And these are the things that God wanted us to do, but we didn't do them. Imagine if God billed us for those things. What would that look like? You know, if we were billed for the times when we were meant to give, but we held back. The times when we were meant to love and care, but we were too busy. The times when we were meant to pray, but we left at the end of the day and we were just too tired. The times when we were meant to worship or serve, but we just didn't make that a priority. I don't know about you, I wouldn't want to see my bill. I know that I'd be in the 500 denarii category along with everybody else wasn't that the Pharisee had a smaller debt. It was that the Pharisee thought he had a smaller debt. He thought he'd earned his right standing with God, and so he wasn't able to see the magnitude of God's generous love. The woman, on the other hand, she knew that she had a huge debt. And when Jesus paid that debt, when Jesus forgave her, her heart 
was filled with love and gratitude. Many of us know what it is to feel deeply ashamed. Ashamed of things that we have done. Ashamed of things that have been done to us. For some, uh, that shame has been public. And we've experienced uh, society's disapproval and disdain, or at least we've experienced that from a group of people or a person. For some, in private, perhaps nobody knows. And we worry, we think, well, you know, if this was to become known, people would look at me very differently. Well, one of the wonderful things about the Gospels is, as N.T. Wright puts it, human beings appear not as society has construed them, but as God sees them. In the Gospels, human beings appear not as society has construed them, but as God sees them. The prostitute would have felt filthy, void of self-respect, and Jesus forgave her, washed away her, her, her sin, washed her clean. Romans 8 verse 1 says, For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or John 8.36, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The woman knew what it is to be forgiven by God. That is, she was beginning to see herself as God sees her. I wonder how do you see yourself? Do you see all the filth and the muck? Do you see the stain of sin on your life? Or are you beginning to see yourself as God sees you? Wash clean, beautiful, radiant, forgiven. Because if you have put your trust in Jesus, that is how God sees you. And if that's how God sees you, that is how you are, regardless of what anyone thinks or says. The woman with a disreputable reputation who entered the home of the religious Pharisee, she knew that she was forgiven. She knew her great debt had been paid in full, and it led to the most beautiful act of service. To start with, she broke down in floods of tears. Tears are a very natural reaction when we experience God's forgiveness. I'll never forget the moment when I gave my life to Jesus. I was in a a windowless hotel room in a very seedy part of Hong Kong. It's a tiny little room. I hardly had enough room to kneel down at the bed. And I'm not ashamed to admit uh, that I was overcome with emotion. I broke down in floods of tears. And I felt like I was on a threshold. I was crying tears of shame for my past. And I was crying tears of joy because it felt like God's love and forgiveness washing over me. And when I read this passage, I always imagine that's how this woman felt. And this woman cried. She cried enough tears to wash Jesus' feet. That's a lot of tears. And then she dried his feet with her hair. Well, in Jesus' culture, if you went to dinner at somebody's house, it would have been customary for them to provide the facilities for you to wash your feet with. People were walking around either barefoot or in sandals, dusty, dirty roads. There was animal feces all over the place. People's feet would be in a mess. And if the host was wealthy, they'd probably get someone to wash your feet for you. The Pharisee hadn't even provided water for Jesus to wash his feet with. Again, in the first century, uh, in in Jewish culture, uh, a host would generally greet his guests with a kiss. 
The Pharisee hadn't done that for Jesus, and yet this woman had repeatedly kissed Jesus' feet. And we just heard how his feet might have been. In the case of uh, special guests, it, it would have been the done thing to anoint their heads with oil. Jesus received no such welcome. Uh, yet this woman anointed Jesus' feet with perfume, which incidentally might have been a life savings. Perfume was very expensive, and uh, people would keep something like a jar of perfume as a nest egg. So we need to understand that this woman was being incredibly generous, maybe even giving all she had. So in the front of the guests and onlookers, Jesus honors this woman, this former prostitute, and I say former prostitute because her life has been transformed by Jesus' forgiveness. And he honors her above Simon the Pharisee, who's this pillar of the community. The woman's actions stem from the love that comes from knowing, from knowing that she is forgiven. Jesus has forgiven her, and she just wants to express her love in humble, repentant, generous service. Of course, her service was uh, her worship was shocking and uncomfortable for the other guests. It would have been such an awkward moment. But she wasn't doing anything wrong, far from it. Her worship was passionate, but not erotic. It was public, but not attention-seeking. It was humble, but not self-serving. It was generous, but not wasteful. This woman just wanted to give Jesus her best. And I think in our culture, we're very suspicious of anyone who takes their faith too seriously. You know, oh, well, a little little bit of faith, that's a good thing. But, you know, not too much. We don't want to be over the top about it. You might hear someone say something like, well, so-and-so's become a Christian and seems to have taken over their lives. Everything seems to be about Jesus. Well, yeah, that's the point. Our lives are supposed to be centered around Jesus. And far from being restrictive and mundane, which is the assumption that's often made, it's life-giving and exciting. Half-hearted, lukewarm Christianity is neither life-giving nor exciting. If we want to know what the Christian life is all about, we can't just dip our toe in the water. At some point, we've got to jump in with both feet. And even within churches, People who are exuberant in worship can be met with a degree of suspicion. You know, someone raises their hands during worship, and you know there'll be a few people thinking, what are they doing? That's, uh, that's a bit over the top. Or maybe, maybe they're showing off or something. You know, if someone raises their hands during a sporting match, no one bats an eyelid. What are we saying? We can get excited about sport, but we can't get excited about Jesus. Is that it? It doesn't follow. Well, what that woman did for Jesus was not only exuberant, wholehearted, and generous. It was scandalous. But notice Simon the Pharisee, who didn't even treat Jesus in line with normal social etiquette. Treated Jesus with disdain and contempt, really. He was very quick to criticize the woman who was actually serving Jesus in the most loving and moving way. So if we see someone that's all out for Jesus, we shouldn't be thinking, hmm, that's a bit over the top. Maybe we should be asking ourselves, have I missed something? Have I missed something here? Why can't I bring myself 
to, to, to love and serve Jesus like that. I mean, if we're to serve uh, Jesus with that kind of love, humility, and wholehearted commitment, two things need to happen. Firstly, we need to recognize that we are sinful. And I don't just mean, you know, a, a little bit sinful. We're either sinful or we're not. Either we need Jesus' forgiveness or we don't. We can't be a little bit sinful any more than a woman can be a little bit pregnant. It doesn't work like that. In other words, we have to put ourselves in the right category. The Pharisee put himself in a different category to the sinful woman. And so he couldn't see the magnitude of his sin or his corresponding need of forgiveness. We need to recognize that we're sinful. And the second thing is we need to understand that when we put our faith in Jesus, we are completely forgiven. Forgiven for every sin that is in our past, forgiven for every sin that is in our future. Because when we put our faith in Jesus, we don't suddenly become perfect, do we? There still will be a lot that needs to be forgiven every day. Sadly, a lot of people get stuck at stage one. They can see their sin, but they don't realize that forgiveness is possible. Or or that maybe they can't forgive themselves. Or maybe they put their faith in Jesus, but they can't see that they are fully forgiven, completely washed clean. Sin is too big a burden for us to carry. We have to give it over to Jesus. But then there are those who don't even get to stage one. They don't even understand that they're sinful. People like the, the Pharisee can't accept that he's in the same boat as that prostitute who came in to worship Jesus. True faith. True faith is what happens when someone meets Jesus and discovers God's forgiveness. True faith is what happens when someone meets Jesus and discovers God's forgiveness. And the tangible evidence of that faith, faith is always love. And in case there's any doubt as to which came first, Jesus' forgiveness or the woman's love, in verse 27, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. It's not that she came in and showed all this love to Jesus and Jesus said, Oh, all right, then I'll, I'll forgive you. Jesus forgave her and that's what caused this love to well up within her. Jesus' final words to the woman were an affirmation of what she already knew. Your sins are forgiven. And then Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Wouldn't you like to know what happened to that woman over the course of her life? I'd love to know that. Maybe I'm just nosy. I'd love to know uh, how that woman continued to love and serve Jesus for the entirety of her life. Be wonderful to know that. We're not told. But a far more pressing question for us is this. How will I, how will I serve Jesus with that kind of love and compassion, or passion rather, for my whole life? Jesus forgives us, and so we love Jesus. And we want to serve Jesus humbly, generously, passionately, wholeheartedly. Love serves. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, in the the often the turmoil and the um, busyness of everyday life, it's easy to lose sight of what's really important, what really matters. It's easy to lose sight of just how much you have done for us. And Father, we we want to recognize that we are sinful human beings in need of a saviour. And we want to recognize just how much you have done for us, that you died for each one of us, that we might be forgiven and set free from the bondage of sin. We pray, Father, that we will rejoice in this fact, that our hearts will overflow with love for you, and that love will manifest itself in the most heartfelt service. Father, we pray that you will use us to tell the story of your love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.